This is the Seafair Investor Podcast, bringing you the tides of investing and personal finance from to millennial seafarers and alike. I'm your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 7. Today, I'll just be having a solo episode as I am currently working at sea, which makes it hard to do interviews as my schedule is tight and time zone is different. (laughs) Anyway, the topic today will be about 5 financial mistakes seafarers make, which I have observed personally after sailing for almost 7 years and counting. (laughs) And I am also including in this episode my personal financial mistake that I made years ago. I hope Anyone listening to this episode will get some value and not only for seafarers, as I believe these mistakes can also apply to everybody. Let's go! Let's start with number one financial mistake, which I find the most common and it is having an inflated lifestyle or what they call the one-day millionaire. (laughs) I find this more often on the younger seafarers compared to the old ones. Maybe because the young ones think that, ah, the money I spent a lot on this month, I can take back again when I go back on board as I am still young and can basically sail more. Which is really bad financially in the long run and can put you in a bad and unending cycle of spending everything when going home. And when nothing's left, you go back again at sea. And this always lead to having a consistent and expensive lifestyle. You know, like buying a lot of unnecessary things going out a lot, or just simply spending beyond your means. I kind of actually understand why seafarers have this urge to spend a lot, because after many months of hard work at sea, we feel entitled to spend every peso. And this feeling of being deprived of the things people enjoy at land, like eating at your favorite restaurant makes it all the way worse for a seafarer having, let's say, an 8-month-long contract. Thus, it leads to more chances of overspending when coming home. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to have fun and treat yourself. I'm just saying there is no need to put a hole in your pocket by doing so. The ways to stop this is, of course, obviously, is by living below your means and just stop comparing yourself to others. I know it's cliche, but don't buy that shiny car because your classmate already did in high school and you saw it on, most probably on social media. And in regards to living below your means, the trick for seafarers on how to start and approach it is taking your average annual income and divide it into 
12. It is to know how much you have per month. Let's say you have an annual income of 500,000 pesos. You divide it by 12 months and you get a roughly around 41,000 pesos per month. At this point, I want you to imagine and picture, picture yourself if you can manage to live below and spend below 41,000 pesos per month. If yes, then nice, you're taking the right steps toward stopping inflated lifestyle. If not, you need to think it more, Gabaro. I know this is such a simple approach and I did not take other factors into consideration. But the point here is to start developing the proper mindset into stopping an inflated lifestyle. Now for the second financial mistake I see a lot on Filipino seafarers is by not having an emergency fund. I know I mentioned emergency fund a lot already in my previous episode, but it doesn't change the fact that it's one of those financial mistakes not only seafarers do but other people also. So to recap again briefly of what is an emergency fund, if you have not listened to my um, previous episodes, emergency fund is uh, the ultimate cushion and buffer that you can only touch in times of emergency, like your car broke down or in a seafarer's case, they stayed on vacation for much longer than they expected. What I observe in seafarers also is that they treat savings and emergency fund as the same, which is not right because each one has a different purpose. Savings is for future long-term goals and emergency fund is for short-term needs. You don't want to spend your savings for your future house in case of a medical emergency because that's what an emergency fund is for. Plus, you will feel much more worse in spending your savings because it means you will start all over again compared to if you separated your savings from emergency fund, you might not have touched your savings instead. Another thing that I also noticed among seafarers or people in general is that they think that it's bad to have a large sum of money that is just sitting in the bank with very low interest rates. And also people become restless and have this itch and urge to do something with the money that is sitting and that's why they fail in keeping their emergency fund intact. And when the time comes that you need the money, most will just borrow and be heavy on debt instead. That's why they're, they're, they need to go back at sea immediately. It's not called a rainy day fund for no reason. <laughs> now again, the general rule is that an emergency fund should be at least 3 to 6 months of your monthly household expenses. But for me, it would be any amount that will make you sleep well at night. 
knowing that when an emergency comes, you won't go borrowing money or touch your savings and investment. Moving on to the third financial mistake seafarers do, which is having no medical insurance. I know, I know, although generally seafarers are covered by insurance when they're on board, but by the time they go home or we go home, we're not covered by our companies anymore. Well, other companies still do to some extent, but they're really rare. Consider yourself lucky if you are. And I also think that most seafarers underestimate how expensive medical treatment can be. They go thinking that their huge lump sum of salary received by the end of their contract would be more than enough to cover accidents until they experience it firsthand. The average cost of being hospitalized right now in the Philippines, especially in this time of pandemic, can range from 500,000 pesos to a million pesos alone. And that's only the average. Now imagine that your six months worth salary on board is only one medical emergency away for it to be wiped out. And this is where having a medical insurance will help. Um, think of it as another barrier before your emergency fund will be touched. And now the usual argument why seafarers will not get a medical insurance is that they see it as only an added expense to their household. Which is right, actually. (laughs) Insurance should be considered as an expense and not as an investment. I will be talking more about it later on, but insurance is essentially borrowing money from insurance companies. The face amount or total coverage of your policy is the loan, and the premiums that you pay is the interest you're paying for the loan. The only difference with banks is that the loan that you take from the bank, you can use it for whatever economical purpose you want. You can buy a house, a car, but with insurance companies, you can only use that loan if something bad happens to you. It's a really great business, actually. And that's how it works for insurance companies. And when you frame medical insurance this way, the expense that you will be paying feels more justified. Anyway, just really get a medical insurance, Kabaro. There are a lot of cheaper options now in the market, especially with HMO prepaid cards. You will thank me later. Now, on to another financial mistake CFR make, which is buying a house immediately and calling it an investment. I know, I know, before you choose violence on me, hear me out. There is nothing wrong in buying a house, especially if you see yourself really staying and making it your home for a long period of time. The problem is, Treating your house as an investment, which is really not. It's actually the opposite. 
it adds to your monthly expenses through repairs or paying for mortgage from a loan. For the house to become an investment, it should provide cash flow because that is what an investment is, providing income. So unless you want to rent out your house while you're living there, then okay. (laughs) But I know in the Philippines, it's not really common to have renters share your home. Well, except in major cities, maybe. Again, it's not bad to buy a house. But I see young seafarers take out high-interest loans for it. And they are stuck paying for it for many years when that capital could have been used in better ways. And if it were me, I would choose to buy it in cash instead so that I could save a lot more in the interest. Don't get me wrong, I I see the allure and bragging rights of owning a house. It's a physical asset that you can touch and feel secured. But it isn't always that way. Imagine having 90% of your net worth tied to a house. It only takes one housing market crash or typhoon for it to go down really in value. I kind of remember this luxury village in Marikina. I forgot the name of the village, but I heard that a lot of people lost their money on it because the area became a floodplain after several years. The owners wanted to sell, but no one wants to have a house always underwater. That's another thing also with property because a house is an illiquid asset, meaning it's hard for you to sell it into cash immediately when the need arises. You need to have a lot of paperwork, you need to find you know the right buyers first. And yeah, I'm sorry, I, I, I think I'm going in circles here, but you get the point. Buying a house is okay, as long as you understand that it isn't an investment. The last one in our five financial mistakes seafarers make is falling for investment scams and get-rich-quick schemes. <laughs> uh, Filipino seafarers in general have an above-average salary compared to those working in the Philippines. That's why it's a popular profession and also the favorite target of investment scams. You know, those kinds that promise a 100% return in just a month. (laughs) Yes, it can be really tempting to invest in those because who does not want that kind of quick cash? I always remember this saying every time I hear or encounter this um, scams, which says, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Meaning, if you see that kind of really high returns, you should be suspicious. Because if making money is that easy, why would that person sell you his winning strategy? If it were me, I would just be silent about it and become rich easily. <laughs> I won't be here on board. So, if it is clearly a scam, why is it people still fall for it? 
there's this irony about investments that it takes people longer time to shop for one particular item in Shopee or Amazon than deciding on investments. I know. <laughs> if, like, an example, if one family member or a close friend whisper, hey, this is a good investment, my friend the other month double his money, and then that person immediately wants in <laughs> without even asking furthermore into what's the nature of the investment itself because they trust the person but if they they are doing another thing like ordering let's say shoes online they will check all the online stores available and look for bargain prices and then for a day they will just become a shoe expert. <laughs> I know this is surprising. I mean, it should be pretty obvious, right? But no, I've seen people fall into pyramid and Ponzi schemes because of this. And having it in social media just makes it worse. Anyway, before I fall into circles again, I'll just wrap up this section. One tip that I can say about this ones is just remember the saying I said earlier. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And with this saying, you will go far because you will start to question the nature of the investment. Like how the hell it can manage to make those crazy high returns to start with. I am, um, I am recording this now on board a ship. And I am constantly reminded again the past few days how hard it is to earn money at sea. So if you are a seafarer listening to this, please always ask more. Do your research. The internet is free. It won't hurt to do a Google search of the company offering the investment to check if it's legitimate. Now for the last uh, section, which is about my own financial mistake I made years ago, which is I bought a VUL, a Variable Unique Link Insurance, or commonly known as Insurance with Investments. I know, I know it's kind of weird that I'm talking about personal finance now and made this mistake. But that time was about was before I started with personal finance and investing, so give me some slack. <laughs> and it's exactly almost three years ago. But again, don't get me wrong. VUL is not bad and can be appropriate for other people. Well, a few people. <laughs> it's only that it won't be a financial mistake buying a VOL if you understood fully what to expect on it. And on those expectations is where I failed with VOL. I bought it before expecting that after 5 years, I will have all my principal invested back and with good returns. And also it's with, there's an insurance with it. So who... Who does not want that, right? But the problem with me that time is that I did not do a really deep research on it. 
I only read articles that only speaks good things about it. You know, confirmation bias. <laughs> Again, this was me before investing, so I did not understand the underlying returns and how they can do that. <laughs> However, a year into my VUL, I did research again about it. I don't know, maybe I was um, bored that time, or I saw it in my bank statement that it deducted another monthly premium again. And I entered, you know, a, a rabbit hole on so much info against VUL on the internet. And it also led me into Reddit, of course. <laughs> and to this uh, group there, which is called PH Invest. I know I mentioned them already in an episode before, but I cannot thank this group enough because I started learning the basics of personal finance and investing with them. Plus, they also have a really supportive and helpful community in Discord, which bears the same name. Shout out to people from PH Invest listening to this episode. You're all lovely. <laughs> Before I go fangirling more about the group, I will scale back to what I realized on VUL that time. My expectation that I will have my principal plus a better return was shattered when I knew about how high the fees are. I, I forgot the exact numbers, but I cannot forget this one. In order for the investment component of my VUL to have any meaningful returns after many fees, it should beat the market by more than 10% every year. And seeing how the fund consistently underperformed the past years, it does not really add confidence. So realizing that, I pulled out my VUL after a year and of course, I suffered a big loss for it because of penalty. But I understood the opportunity cost of capital that I should have or I could have invested on better ones instead of continuing paying for a sinking ship. Again, this section of the episode is not meant to make a bad name for VUL. As it can be applicable for those who really don't have time to invest for themselves, as what Daris advisor have said in my interview with him on episode 5. But we both agree also that BTID is better. And that's what I'm doing now and will continue to do so until my priorities change. So my lesson there is always research always ask more and every time you do a decision to get an investment it won't really hurt actually if you have time to scroll on facebook or instagram you will have time to browse on articles about the investment i want to end this episode with a big gratitude on the people that are supporting this podcast you know who you are <laughs> because uh, from the start, I was not really expecting to have listeners, <laughs> as this is just a passion project of mine 
for my growing love of teaching people on personal finance and investing. But now, all the more I am more motivated to even do this while I am on board at sea. So again, thank you for listening. And I will try as much as possible to give out quality content consistently in the future. As I am still settling in my routine and work here in the ship. You can reach out to me by my Facebook page, The Safer Investor, and my email, which is soshininvestor at gmail.com. It will be in the description, don't worry. Next episode, I will be finally talking about investing. Yay! <laughs> so, stay tuned and see you! Stay tuned and see you!